Welcome back to The Savvy Psychologist. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and every week I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Okay, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about all things introversion, shyness, and social anxiety to celebrate the publication of my first book, How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic and Rise Above Social Anxiety. So this week, to close out the series, we will collectively push up our glasses and talk about social awkwardness. And to guide us along this awkward journey, we are lucky to have with us Dr. Tai Tashiro. Dr. Tashiro is a psychologist and the author of Awkward, The Science of Why We're Socially Awkward and Why That's Awesome. He is also the author of The Science of Happily Ever After, What Really Matters in the Quest for Enduring Love. His work has been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Time.com, TheAtlantic.com, and on NPR. Plus, he's addressed TED at NYC, the Harvard Business School, MIT's Media Lab, and the American Psychological Association. Tai Tashiro, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So we are here to get awkward. So first, let's define what we're talking about. So who is awkward and what are some characteristics of awkwardness? Yeah, you know, to define awkwardness, I like to start out actually with the root of the word. And the root of the word awkward is an old Norse word, afugur. And afugur means facing a different direction. And I really like that as a way to introduce the concept of awkwardness because it explains why awkward people might miss social cues or social expectations that everybody else seems to see. <laughs> but it also says that they might be looking somewhere different and have a unique perspective. And that could be a value and uh, bring good things uh, to the group or to a friendship. So um, I like to start out with that. And then there's the more psychological way to define it which is social skill problems, uh, communication problems, and what I call obsessive interests. So this idea that awkward people really, really love <laughs> the things that they're interested in, which I think is actually a good quality, but sometimes then they miss uh, more social information while they're invested in their non-social interests. So I like how you start with the the root of the word. So and the subtitle of your book is the science of why we're socially awkward and why that's awesome. Because usually awkwardness is thought of as this negative thing. But it seems like there are two sides of the coin here. So how can the hallmarks of awkwardness also be strengths? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the reason I wrote the book in the first place was a few years ago, I was observing some of my socially awkward adult friends uh, who had moved to new cities or were in new uh, social situations. And when they were talking to people that they were meeting for the first time, I'd watch them struggle with some of those early interactions. And sometimes people would turn away or uh, not have any interest in talking to them anymore. And I thought, that's a real shame because these friends I know are great people with great character and they're really interesting and, and they have so much to bring to a friendship. And I thought it's too bad on both sides. It's too bad that uh, the person who's not showing social interest is losing an opportunity to forge a relationship with someone who could be great. And I thought it's unfortunate for the awkward person <laughs> because that, of course, makes them feel self-conscious. And I thought to myself, if 
these awkward friends could just skip the first five minutes <laughs> of these social interactions, <laughs> they might be a lot better off. And um, well, I went into the literature and found that although psychologists don't call uh, social awkwardness awkward, um, they do have a lot of research that's relevant to understanding socially awkward people. And so for the awkward among us, there's definitely some strengths to being awkward. They really love what they love. I think in the book, you call it the rage to master. But, you know, there are negative things like in those five minutes of conversation, they turn some people off. So what what are some concrete recommendations for how to minimize the costs of being awkward? Mm. You know, awkward moments arise when there's a discrepancy between what's socially expected and our behavior. And it's, it's really just that simple. One of the things for awkward people to keep in mind is that even when we have an awkward moment that's really embarrassing, uh, let's say your zipper was down while you were doing a presentation, <laughs> you'd uh, blush and you'd be super embarrassed. Uh, but you got 99% of the social expectations right in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just this one tiny thing that deviated. And so I think that's one of the first things for awkward people to recognize is that most of the time they're actually meeting most social expectations and they're doing just fine. It's just that they're more prone to missing one or two things here and there. And if you do that once or twice a day, right, then that's enough to make you feel awkward on a daily basis. So I think putting it in context and not doing this extreme thinking where we say, oh, I'm always awkward or I'm always embarrassing myself. That's actually an inaccurate thought. So I think that's a good place to start. The second thing I think awkward people can do is use their ability to prepare and to understand systems. Hmm. So we know from research that awkward people are methodical thinkers. They tend to be systematic thinkers. And So they can apply that style of thinking to social interactions. And one way they could do that is to actually study manners. And that sounds kind of old-fashioned, but manners serve a function in our society, and that's to smooth social interactions. It's to show people that we intend to be fair and generous. And if awkward people can study some of those small social graces ahead of time, that really helps them understand systematically how to approach a situation before they get into it. And that could also then reduce some of their social anxiety they might have about performing okay in a social interaction. Yeah, because there are scripts to manners. There there are systems, you know, like you walk into a restaurant, you know, and so like you go to the counter, you look at the menu, you look the person in the eye, make your order, get out your money, you know, like there, it's, there's an order to it. And so it sounds like a recommendation is to consciously study the script, study the system and try to get that down. Exactly, exactly. And awkward people are good observers. And I think one of the really heartwarming things that I started to notice when I started writing Awkward was if you watch awkward people, they're very observant about other people. And what they're they're watching their social skills, and they're always absorbing information about how to navigate various situations better. Um, and you know, awkward people are oftentimes trying really hard to do the right thing in social interactions. It's just that sometimes they're a little bit more clumsy than they want to be. Absolutely. 
And so this is a nice segue. So I'm, I'm a parent, and I know a lot of our listeners are parents. And watching your child do awkward things can be so painful. And we just cringe <laughs> as sure. our kids like make these social missteps. So what are some concrete things that parents can do to help their kids be less awkward? I can give you an example from from when I was a kid. I was a sure. very awkward child, <laughs> so I uh, speak from experience here. Uh, when we would go to the Wendy's to get some fast food, we'd park in the parking lot there, and my parents would uh, turn around and they'd say, "Ty, it's time to mentally prepare." Okay, <laughs> I, I knew exactly what this meant, you mm-hmm. know, because uh, we would do this dozens of times, uh, you know, every month probably, but. They would say, so where are we at and why are we here? And now that's a really obvious question to ask a kid who's, you know, even eight years old, uh, certainly 10, 12 years old. Uh, But these kinds of conversations persisted well into high school Mm, for me. mm -hmm. And I'd say, well, we're Wendy's, we're we're here to eat. I'd say, when you walk inside, what's the first thing you need to look for? And (laughs) even though we'd had this conversation a number of times before, it was like, a test where you can't remember the right answer. Sure. And I would say, oh, I should look, I should look for the line. And they had to walk me through these Socratic dialogues because left to my own devices, I could just get up in my head, walk in to the Wendy's. And this sounds crazy to people who aren't socially awkward, but sometimes I just wouldn't see the line. Yeah. I, yeah. I wouldn't see that sure. very obvious social cue. And I would cut, not mm-hmm. because I was trying to cheat or, you know, get to the front. It's just because just I didn't, didn't see understand it. the context. Yeah. yeah. And then they'd say, so now that you're in line, which, you know, well, I should figure out what I'm going to order. I should get my money ready. I should be careful when I turn around. I don't, mm. you know, slam the person with my tray. Okay. Uh, and we would go through this before most social situations and, um, it was important that that was done privately, right? Mm-hmm, sure. And uh, another important feature of that is that even if I were to do something awkward uh, when I actually got into the situation, they never really got on my case about that. Mm, that's key. Um, and, yeah. And I think keeping that, what psychologists would call expressed emotion, low if you're a parent is really critical with awkward kids because awkward kids are they're very sensitive, actually, and they very easily get ramped up. So the one of the best things parents can do is that when the child does do something that's embarrassing or awkward, just to be really matter of fact and, and calm about it. So it sounds like the first step is to try, in, so in private, so as not to be shaming, of course, but sure, to, right. to make what is unconscious for non-awkward people conscious for the awkward child. Like, let's think about this. Let's, let's like visualize like what do we have to do and then also as a kind of as a follow-up when something awkward does happen just to to roll with the punches and like it's not it's not something they meant to do it's not something malicious like like you said like you just you just didn't see the line or you just it just didn't you know it's it wasn't um you know anything done on purpose but just and so just to to roll with it and try again later that's that's exactly right. Awesome. And I think you know those two things were. If I look back on it, those were two of the most helpful things uh, that my parents did, among among other things. But um, it, I think it's counterintuitive for parents to, to yeah. think that they have to have those Socratic dialogues uh, with their child because most people just naturally pick these things up without any specific instruction. 
Right. So in the book, though, at the same time, you say that part of the job description of being a child is to do some things that are socially inappropriate or foolish and to learn the consequences of those actions and then take responsibility for correcting course. So how can parents ensure that they don't overprotect an awkward kid? Yeah, I, I think awkward, awkward kids are a little more stubborn, actually, <laughs> than, than the average kid. Um, and there's a lot of reasons psychologically for why that happens. But uh, I, I hear that, too, just anecdotally uh, from a lot of parents I bump into who have awkward kids. Uh, yeah, they, they just really kind of get set in their way. So I think it's just good to give them the freedom and, and lay out lay out the thought in a really, once again, matter of fact way. Uh, a great example of this, I thought, was a caller on a radio show a couple months ago. And she was not an awkward person, but she said she had married an awkward guy okay. who she loved dearly. Mm -hmm. And her eight-year-old son was awkward and lovable. Um, but they had been at the barber the day before, and the kid was kind of overdue for a haircut. About halfway through, he was just done with the haircut, he decided. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> She said, well, hey, look, you're, you know, you're going to have to live with this because it had actually been done such that it looked like half a haircut. At oh, that no. Point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which I'm sure was anxiety provoking for the mom. Yeah. Um, so she took a deep breath and she said, hey, if, if you decide to get out of this chair, I'll let you do it. I have to pay for this and I'm not going to pay for it again for another four weeks. Wow. So think ahead about what your friends are going to say. And yeah. You know, and the kid was like, fine. Okay. <laughs> so he had this kind of ridiculous haircut. And to her surprise, there were no social consequences uh, for this. In fact, it seemed to enhance his social status um, <laughs> at, at school, something kind of wild and crazy to do. So yeah, I, I think, you know, that's one of the better things parents can do, I guess, just in general, is to lay out they're thinking about the if A, then B, mm -hmm. or if C, then D, and we're going to put the ball in your court, and you will suffer uh, the consequences for this. Or not, apparently. Or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. You, you get pleasantly surprised. So uh, I think with awkward kids, that's something that's really important, which is, you know, you want them to fit in, but you don't want them to lose themselves and lose their quirkiness. Um, because those things that are a little bit odd or off center <laughs> when they're a kid, those are some of the things that mature into really wonderful things as adults, whether that's a creative way of seeing the world or a sense of humor, um, or a whole host of other things that arise from seeing the world, you know, in a little bit of a different way. Well, that is a perfect place to leave it. So thank you so much for talking with us. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Sure. Dr. Tai Tashiro is the author of Awkward, The Science of Why We're Socially Awkward and Why That's Awesome, which is out in paperback on April 3rd. Also check out his book, The Science of Happily Ever After, What Really Matters in the Quest for Enduring Love. And you can pick up a copy of one or both wherever you buy books. Thank you so much for making The Savvy Psychologist a part of your life. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for all your support around how to be yourself, especially over the last few weeks. It really wouldn't exist without each and every one of you.
Now, I have really been tickled because some of you have emailed and asked how you can contribute or say thanks, and there is indeed an answer. If the spirit moves you, please write an honest review on Amazon, regardless of where you bought the book. It makes a real difference, and here is how to do it. On Amazon, search for How to Be Yourself, scroll down to Customer Reviews, where you see the yellow bar graph with the tally of reviews, and next to that is a button that says Write a Customer Review. Click that and tell the world what you thought. As always, The Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Next week, I will answer several listener requests about how to stop getting so defensive. So until then, have a wonderful week, and I will see you here next Friday for a happier, healthier mind. <laughs>